Hello. Hey, good morning, Crestview family. Good morning. Welcome to Crestview Baptist Church this morning. I am so glad to have you with us. I am glad to be here today. Um, I'm going to, if you're a guest visitor with us for the first time, we would love to get a record of that. So if you could fill out a a visitor form in in the pews in front of you and drop it in the offering plate. Just so we can get to know you a little bit more. Um, do that for us. There are a few announcements as we get started. Um, so if you look in your bulletin, there's a lot of stuff going on. I got two big things going on for the youth and children. Um, this Friday, this September the 22nd, is a really busy day. Um, we're gonna be doing we're gonna be feeding the football team that day, and then we're gonna be doing a lock-in that evening. This is my partner, I guess. I didn't. And um, so with that, so if you're willing to come, and I know that's a lot to ask. I know being up all night and you could take shifts. If you're willing to come and just hang out and kind of help keep an eye on kid youth after the football game and hang out with us through the night, please let me know. Because unfortunately, if I don't get enough, if I don't get enough chaperones, um, I'm going to have to cancel the lock-in and the campfire after the game. And I don't want to do that. I think it's a great opportunity to reach our kids uh, at the high school and the middle school levels. It's a great opportunity to get them in. So if you're willing to chaperone, to help me chaperone with that, let me know. Um, then we got the kids coming up on the 17th, kids and youth. We're going to be going skating after church, after we have the missions lunch. We're going to leave here, go skating. It's $10 per skater. And um, that's going to get you in, and we'll have a lot of fun. Uh, the where's, Who wants to talk about the vendor show? Anybody? Where's Joey? Uh, well, the, the WMU vendor show is coming up uh, September the 23rd as well. Uh, that's the Saturday after all that happens. So if you're going to be working the vendor show, you might, you're probably not going to want to stay up all night. But... I'm going to be at the vendor show after I've been up all night. So if you've seen me that day, you can feel sorry for me. Uh, don't forget about our Wednesday night services this week. Um, our kids and youth down in the building at 6.30. Our adults are up here at 6.30. Uh, invite a friend. Bring somebody with you. That's you too, adults. Bring somebody with you. Listen, I told the kids, I told my youth Wednesday night, if they would bring a, a friend with them that's never been before, them and the friend would get a box of candy. And guys, adults, if you bring a friend that's never come, come see me, and I'll get you a box of candy too, okay? If it'll make you feel better, just we'll get to, to fill this place up on a Wednesday night. But right now, I just want to encourage you guys to, let's focus on God this morning, and let's see what he has in store for us. I'm going to turn it over for prayer. Or am I doing that? Am I doing that? Hey, I am doing that. All right. <laughs> Look at there. All right, so... Um, I heard, I'm sorry about that, look here, I, I, I talked to Miss Wanda as we go into prayer time, I talked to Miss Wanda and she was going out to go to Blacksburg and I believe it was her brother-in-law, I think, does anybody in her Sunday school class can confirm that? Her brother-in-law is being put on the transplant list and they're going out to spend some time with him this morning. So just be, be sure you we're thinking about her during our prayer time. Um, we've got a lot, got a lot going on in our church, a lot going on around us, just being prayer for our community, and um, just uh, if, if people need you, 
be there for them. Uh, it's a great idea to love people because that's what Jesus said to do. And uh, so let's just love people. And the, one of the best ways to love people is through prayer. So at this time, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning, and I'm just so excited to be in your house today. And I'm just looking forward to seeing what you have in store for us. As we get started this morning, Lord, I just want to bring to you the needs of our congregation, Lord. There, there so many, all the people in here, Lord, there's no way that we could sit here and list every need of every person sitting in here. We got things we don't like to share with people, things we don't want to talk about, things we're embarrassed to talk about or ashamed to talk about, Lord, but you know every heart and every need. And I just pray that we feel your presence. Lord, I, well, I for one, I know I come here and I come here because I want to fellowship with others, but more importantly, Lord, I want to fellowship with you. And I just pray for your blessing and, your, and that your presence is on this whole service and everything we do. We'll be with the sick people. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of sicknesses going on. And I just pray for healing on their behalf. We'll be with Wanda and her family this morning as they go down to uh, visit family. Um, and uh, I just pray for your blessing on her and what's going on in her family. And the possible procedure in the future. Lord, be with Kale today as he, prepare, he prepares to deliver your message. And I pray that no matter what I, no matter who's up here, whether it's me, Sandra, Kale, whoever steps foot on the stage behind this podium today, that it's not our Lord, our words, Lord, that we're saying. I don't want to speak my words. Lord, I want to speak your words. I want to speak your truth in everything that I do. All this I ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Miss Joanne would like to share something with us. Um, I just wanted to thank everybody for last Sunday. It was so special to me. And, you know, as you know, I've played 21 years here, but I played 46 years at Campville. And... The Lord just gave me the, not just the gift of being able to play, but the want. I missed it when I couldn't do it, and I'm going to miss it now. But like Sandra said, I have a few things going on with me that I just can't play. Um, hopefully I'll get that fixed soon. But I just wanted you to know the plaque's beautiful. I've already got it on my wall. And I nearly fell over Sunday night whenever I got to the, to the dinner and found out it was for me. <laughs> that so many people in here knew it, even Doug and Jackie, <laughs> and didn't tell me. So that's truly one of the times that I was flabbergasted. <laughs> so I just want to thank you again for letting me play. And again, thank you, Joanne. You know, it's funny how you can use the words, the same exact words, but just the way you say it comes off with a different meaning. 
you know, when you're telling a young person something and they don't want to hear it, they say, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> or you tell someone something and they say, I know that, I know, I know that. So do you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that you believe in him and you are his? So let's see how you answer that when we stand and sing, I know whom I have believed, hymn number 337. Would you stand and sing with confidence? Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have to come and worship you through our songs, through our giving, through hearing the word. I just pray, dear Lord, that now then you can take this gift and use it to further your kingdom. For it's your holy name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Again, 
someone asks you a question. Who do you belong to? Do you say, you? Or do you say, I'm yours? <laughs> so let's stand again as we sing 290, I am thine, O Lord. And let's not ask God if we're his, let's tell him we're his. come forward this morning oh Thomas good job you got down here quick speedy quick I like it all right good morning guys I'm gonna ask you guys a question that I bet you don't know the answer to tomorrow is a holiday in the United States. but does anybody know what it's called it's called a holiday yes it's a, it's a work holiday it's called Labor Day. What does labor mean? What does that mean? What do you think that means? Okay. It could mean that. It definitely could mean that. But okay, you having a day off? Work labor is like working, going out into the field, going to your job, whatever it may be. And so, each one of you guys, when you get older. Are going to get a job, right? Does anybody know what kind of job they want to get when they get older? Linda, what kind of job do you want to get? A daycare person? Well, that'll be a good job. We want to be. I've asked you this before, I know. A what? You want an excavator driver? What do you want to be, Jackson? An artist? Those, those are some good jobs to do. So why would you choose these particular jobs? Do you know? Why would you choose to do that job? <coughs> okay. But would you do that job if you weren't good at it? If you weren't good at working with kids, would you do that job? If you didn't like working with kids? Would you you pick your job because you're good at it, right? And where, where do you think you get your skills from? Who gives you your skills? God, that's right. God gives you your skills. And God tells us to, to take our skills and 
use them. And we use, I know I did a sermon sort of like this a few weeks ago. This is a different verse. He tells us to take our skills, and when we work, to work for him. I'm going to read a Bible verse to you. And this is 1 Peter chapter 4, yeah. verse 10. It says, as each of you have received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of manifold, as the manifold grace of God. Listen, God gives you your gifts, whatever they may be, whether you're good at working with kids when you get older, whether you're an artist like Jackson, maybe you want to be a big, heavy equipment operator like Thomas, maybe you want to be a doctor or a teacher, whatever your gift is, God gave it to you, so what should you use it for? Who should you serve with? God. You should serve God with it. And so that's what I want to encourage you guys. And by serving God with your gifts, guess what you're doing? You're helping others. You're loving others. You're telling people who Jesus is. Because just because I'm like here, I get to get up and tell you guys about Jesus this life. We get to talk about Jesus. But I also work at the school. And I don't get to just come out and just do a Bible study with my kids at school. But I get to share Jesus through the way I treat them, through the way I love them, through the way I take care of them. I get to share Jesus through the way I act. So when you're out in your jobs and your skills, be sure you're sharing Jesus with the, by the way you love people, the way you act people. And so that's what we're going to talk about today when we go to children's churches. Serving others with your skills and doing it because God told us to. And it is right. So let's pray, and we're going to sit down, and we'll sit right here on the second row where Miss Morgan is, and then we'll go to Children's Church after the choir. Let me pray first, okay? God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for these wonderful kids and for allowing them to be here today. Lord, thank you for our gifts, all the skills and things that you give us, Lord. Lord, I pray that we're able to take those skills that you give us and use them in a way that honors you, honors you and help us in doing that. Help us to love others and to serve others in everything that we do. Always ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. 
Good morning, Crestview Baptist Church. Good to see everybody here today, and just thankful for the opportunity to be able to fill in in uh, Artie's absence today uh, while he's away, um, and so just grateful for this opportunity to be able to speak with you today about what the Lord has laid on my heart today for our message. Um, we know that already the last few weeks has been talking about the Apostles' Creed, and um, one of the things I appreciate about that is Brother Artie has been sharing with us some of the basics of our Christian faith and where it originates and, um, and how it all comes about. And so today, one of the things I want to speak to you about is, in our message today, is what is biblical salvation? Because that's an important part of our Christian faith. And so when you think about your salvation, many of us sometimes have questions. Um, you may have had questions about your own salvation, or you may have had questions maybe about someone's salvation that you love. Um, at every time in our life, all of us have different times where we have questions about our salvation, what we've believed, um, and that is a natural part. And so if you've ever felt like that or ever uh, had those kind of questions in your mind, don't feel, feel bad about that because that's something natural that we as believers go through. Um, you know, we live in a time of deception, um, like no time I've ever seen him before. Um, a world full of lies and deceptions in all different areas of life. And one of the things that Satan will try to do um, is try to deceive people about what salvation means. He may re use religion to try to do it to deceive people. He may try to get you to doubt your salvation, try to get you to question in some way. And so one of the things I wanted to share with you this morning that's so important is that God has not left us to not know what salvation is. He has provided us in his word the steps to salvation. He has laid it out for us because he knows this has eternal implications for each and every one of us. And so he's not going to leave that to our own to try to figure out and try to understand on our own. He has left, the, left us the prescription of what biblical salvation looks like in his word. And so that's what I want to talk to you today about is what is biblical salvation and how does it apply to each and every one of us. And so as we get ready to look at this passage this morning, I want to first begin in prayer. I want us to just really, really go to the Lord this morning and just pray for his spirit to be with us. Father, we, um, we just come to you this morning. We come to you as a church. We come to you as a body of um, believers and maybe some unbelievers who are just in dead, desperate need of your Holy Spirit today to... Help us to see what it is we need to see, Lord, about what you have to say to us. Um, we ask, Lord, that you would just open up our eyes, open up our ears, remove any hardness of any heart that we may have. Fill us, Lord, with your spirit so that we can see. Awaken us, Lord, to what you want to say to us in your word today through me so that we may know, Lord, what true salvation looks like. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you got your Bible this morning, turn with me to uh, Luke 23. 
We're going to be looking at verses 32 through 43 with our primary focus this morning on 39 and 43. And so I'm going to read to you this morning these, these first six verses. There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right hand and one on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers themselves, them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And the inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Now before we get into this message, I just want to give you a little bit of background of sort of what's going on here, sort of to try to paint a picture in your mind of what this scene may have looked like. Um, Jesus has gone through his examination before Pilate. Um, he has been given over to the demands of the Jewish religious leaders who have been calling for his crucifixion. He has, walked, he has now walked with Simon, the Cyrenian, who is carrying his cross up to the place that was fittingly called the skull, the place of death, a place in Aramaic that is called Golgotha. Calvary is the Latin name for Golgotha, for some of you who like to know stuff like that. When they arrive, Jesus is placed between two criminals because he is deemed that he's worse than those two. And so, as all three men are laid down together beside one another, they are pinned to, to a cross with nails and spikes and then ready to be dropped into a hole and lifted up to be seen as to serve as a warning to all the people that you are not to cross Roman authority. Near Jesus on the cross, as he's up there, our soldiers, they're gambling. They're casting lots over the last remaining piece of clothing um, because it was custom that Roman soldiers, when they crucified, that the victim, they could share in their clothes. And so they were gambling over Jesus' clothes as he was up there. Behind him were a multitude of people, men, women mourning, Curious onlookers looking upon him. And the crowd of the Jewish religious elite with more excitement in their voice than a, a child who wakes up on Christmas morning, sarcastically saying he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And just like happens in a schoolyard, when a group of kids surround a kid that they think is weak and vulnerable. As one begins to mock, then others begin to pile on. And so the Roman soldiers also, too, join in on this mockery. And if that's not bad enough, Matthew's gospel reminds us that even both the men who were there being crucified began to turn to Christ, began to join in the insults, and begin to condemn the Son of God. 
And all the gospel writers, they include a set of phrases that Jesus utters while he's on the cross, but I think this phrase really touches this moment more than any other. And I want you to hear Jesus' words because it describes his love, his mercy, and his grace toward each and every one of us. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, something to consider this morning, this was not a pretty scene. This was barbaric. Crucifixion was barbaric. They'd done away with it as a, as a type of... Uh, uh, execution as a type of uh, death penalty later on because it was so violent. Um, the people there who were hurling insults to Jesus were barbaric in their nature at that moment. Secondly, this was not something that shocked him. This was not something that shocked Jesus. Because Jesus is God, because he is omniscient, he knew this was going to happen before he ever created the world. He saw this scene play out from the very beginning. He knew what was to come. He also knew because he was the only one who could come as a child born of a virgin and still yet be fully God, the only one who could bridge and reconcile sinful man back to God, his Father, so that you and I could live and at some point during all this, during the, this moment, his love and mercy began to shine on a heart that had been cold toward the things of God. And there began to begin some life, kind of like life in new spring. We don't know the exact time, but at some point during the time of the Karu crucifixion, before Jesus utters the words, it is finished, there begins to be a change in this man's heart that was to the right of Jesus on that cross. And before that happens, I want us to look this morning at one of the criminal's responses to his left because it's a warning to each and every one of us. Hebrews 3.15 tells us, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Do not harden your heart because there may be a time when you cannot hear his voice any longer. I want us to look verse 39, Luke 23, 39, if you have your Bibles. Then one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him. This is in the NIV. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Notice this man on the left. He has become more angry in his spirit. He doesn't feel like he deserves the punishment he's receiving. And so there's no repentance. There's no sorrow for what is going on to him at this moment. And so instead of repeating the words he's been hearing the others say, if you are the Christ, he ramps it up and says, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. He blasphemes the Son of God in that moment. His attitude is, we're suffering here, do something. He wanted to be set free in that moment from his agony, but he did not want to be set free from the cost of his sins. It would be like a man who falls asleep smoking in bed. He wakes up, he realizes the ashes have fallen on the sheets, 
It's now on fire. The room begins to spread on fire. He rushes to his phone to call 911. As the fireman comes to try to save him, to try to save him from his house, when he gets there, he insults the fireman, and he says, you should have got here sooner. That's the attitude of this man. His heart has become harder. The criminal to Jesus' left has grown harder and his heart on his cross. He has rejected God. He has rejected his son. And his death was imminent. His only hope had his hand stretched out to him on his left. Jesus' hand was stretched out to him. And he rejected it in that moment. He would not take his hand and repent. And if you think about it, it's harder to be much closer to God than for him to be literally right beside you. As Jesus was, was right there in between him. And I believe this is a scriptural warning to the notion that people sometimes have. They think, well, right now I don't want to give my life to Christ. I'm having a good time. I'm enjoying life. If I have to give my life to Christ, I'm going to have to give up this. I'm going to have to give up that. I'm going to have to be in church all the time. I'm going to have to pray. I'm going to have to do all these things that Christians do. And so they'll, they'll say to themselves, well, I'll just wait till the end to make that decision. I'll just wait till my life is already carried out, and I'll get to the end, and then I'll make that decision in the last moment. And the reality is, as we see from this man, you may not be able to. If a believer at times feels cold toward Christ and does not want to pray, what's the odds of an unbeliever going to pray to receive Christ before he dies? God is merciful. God is grace. God is compassion. Anything can happen in that moment. But if that's your mindset, if that's where you're at, that I'm going to wait till the end, you're playing with fire, and I mean that literally. And then in verse 40, we begin to see what biblical salvation looks like. In verse 40, the other criminal to Jesus is right. He says, but the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God? seeing you, under, you are under the same condemnation. In verse 40, we begin to see the main characteristics that are consistent with salvation. Notice what he says. He rebukes this man. He says, do you not even fear God, seeing that you're under the same condemnation? To try and paraphrase this to some degree, so that we can understand what he's saying. The criminal right on the, on the right is saying to the guy on the left, he's saying, why are you joining in with these others when you're facing the same kind of death that they are? Think about what you're saying. You are about to die, and you are about to face God. Do you not even fear God? That's what he's saying to that man. And I can tell you one of the things growing up in church was I had a fear of God even before I became a believer. This is why it's so imperative for you to have your children in church. I knew when I heard someone take the Lord's name in vain, I knew that was a big deal. 
Even before I was a believer, I knew that made me cringe to hear someone blaspheme the name of the Lord. I knew when I was in my high school days, when I was doing things that I shouldn't have been doing, when I was partying, when I was living in sin and acting in a way that I wasn't supposed to be acting, when I was riding in the back of a car not knowing if I was going to get home or not, I can remember praying, asking God, please spare me so I can make it home because I don't know if I'll die tonight if I'm ready to face you. That was my prayer. I had a fear of God. We've lost that sense of proper reverent fear of God. Your fear of God is revealed in the way that you act, the way that you treat others, the words that you speak. In society today, we live in a time where people flaunt their sin. There's no fear of God. They flaunt it so bad with no shame that they're even willing to bring it into the church and demand the church to accept it. That's the times that we are living in because there's a lack of fear of God. But if you look closely at this man's words, you begin to see a change in him. We begin to see that first step of biblical salvation. And so if you're taking notes today, I want you to maybe jot this down. I want you to listen to what he says. He says, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. We receive the due reward of our deeds. The first step in salvation through God's grace is a willingness to confess our sins and admit that I've broken God's laws and standards. It's not enough to say I messed up. You know, we all mess up. You know, we're human. You ever heard somebody say that? That's not confession. You know what that is? That's excuses. That's what that means. Confession means that I have rebelled against God. I've rebelled against his standards. I agree with him that I've done that. That's what this man was saying right here on the cross. I agree with God. I am here because I deserve to be here. I agree with this punishment. There begins, you begin to see that change in him. He's willing to confess. John 16, 8, Jesus says, He will convict the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascended back to the heaven, that became the job of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin. When I was living like I wasn't supposed to be living, I was under conviction. It was brought to my mind the righteousness of God, and I was fearful of God's judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings to our mind that conviction. And some of us right now, we're on the run. We're on the run trying to avoid that conviction. And so that's why people stay busy. That's why people try to occupy their minds with so many things, with their phone, with TV, so many busy things because people don't want to get still because they know that the Spirit of God is working on them. The only problem is you can't outrun God. At some point, you're going to be on your bed at night and you can't sleep and the Spirit of God is going to be dealing with you. And so you can't outrun God. 
The second step in biblical salvation, if you keep in notes, is repentance. In the Greek, it means to have a change of mind, a change in the inner man. I want you to look at this man's turnaround. I want you to hear him. He's gone from joining in with his buddy, condemning and insulting Christ, to saying this man has done nothing wrong. And in humility, down in verse 42, he says, Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I have nothing else offered to give. Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and, and behold, all things have become new. You cannot receive salvation unless you repent of your sins and are willing to turn from them. A salvation that produces no change in character, no change in your mind and the way you conduct yourself, is not biblical salvation. I didn't say you were going to be perfect. Every one of us as believers, we all fall at different times. But there should be a change in who you are for it to be salvation. And, and you can see that in this man immediately. He went from Jesus, why don't you do something? You claim to be the Son of God. Save yourself and us. Do something. Help me out here. So now he says, Lord, just remember me. I have nothing to give. I have nothing to offer you. It's all about you. It's nothing about me. And you begin to see that change of heart. And that's what happens when you truly repent of your sins. It produces a change in the heart, a change in the mind, a change in the soul. I want you to remember this. The prodigal son did not receive forgiveness continuing to live in the hog pen in his sin and filth. He received forgiveness when he came to his senses and he went home and repented to his father. That's when he received the forgiveness. And then in verse 42, if you look again at verse 42, then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He formally condemned the Son of God with insults, and now in all humility, all he is asking is to remember me, Lord. True biblical salvation looks to Christ. I have absolutely nothing to offer. You think about the insults that he had given Christ that probably rang loud in his mind at that moment. All he says is, remember me, Jesus. That's all I have. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. There must come a time in your life where you say what I'm doing, um, the choices I'm making, the sufferings that's happening in my life is brought on upon by me. Um, it's not working. What I'm doing is not working. I tried to get better in this area of my life, but nothing seems to work. This man looked to Christ. That's what God's calling you to do today. He's calling you to look to Christ. He's the only one who can solve the issues in your life that you cannot fix or I cannot fix on my own. This man could not fix his predicament. He knew he was going to die, but he looked to Christ. 
And some of us, there's always this sneaky temptation of pride that wants to sneak in that says to ourselves that I'm really not as bad as this guy was. I've not really done anything that deserved death like him. I was not a criminal. I've not done those kinds of things like he has. And the truth is, really, me and you may be worse in some ways than what he was because God looks at the heart where man looks on the outside. And I can tell you myself, God has seen a lot of evil, nasty things in my heart that would have placed me on that cross just as much or more than that man deserved to be. I know I deserve to be up there more than the one in the middle. Acts 4.12, Peter says, There is no salvation and no one else. God has given no other name by which we must be saved, not in the name of self-righteous. Well, you know, I know I do some things that are not right, but deep down I'm a pretty good person. I'm, you know, I'm a pr pretty good wife, pretty good daughter. Uh, pretty good husband, I go to work for my family, I do all these things, so I'm not really that bad. I want to ask you something, are you as righteous as Jesus? Because he's the standard, Peter says. Not in the name of good works, Peter says. Well, when I look at my life, I've done a lot of good things. I've given into this organization. I've served as a Sunday school teacher. Have you done more good works than Christ? Because he is the standard. Not in the name of religion. Well, wait a minute. I'm a religious person. I go to church faithfully. I tithe. Read my Bible some. I pray. That's what a religious man says. But I want to hear what, what Jesus says. The most religious group of people in Jesus' day were the Pharisees. They were so religious, they would make me and you look like heathens. That's how religious they were. And Jesus said that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Because I am the standard. John 10 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Any other door to salvation will be slammed faster in your face than a brother, pesky little brother, chasing his sister to, to, to her door and she slams it into his face. That's how quickly it'll be slammed. And some of us know what that looks like. In true biblical salvation, the fourth thing I want you to see, by faith, Christ becomes Lord. I want you to listen to what the scripture says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now let's examine, is this what this man did? He acknowledged Jesus as Lord. He said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, he acknowledged him as Lord. Now this is big. I want, I, want, I want you to hear this because this is all a work of God as salvation always is. He says, when you come into your kingdom, how did he know that he was going to come into his kingdom? Both of them were on death's door. 
How was he going to know that he was going to come into his kingdom? Because I believe the Spirit of God gave him that. Else he would not have known. It was the Spirit of God working in his heart so that he could believe, so that he could look to Christ. It's always in salvation a work of God. It's never a work of man. The Word of God never contradicts itself. And so this man, he desired to be where Jesus was. He had gone from it being all about his life, being about the world, to now he wanted to give Jesus the title to his heart. And Christ became his Lord. For it to be biblical salvation, there has to be a transference of power. From you wanting to be the king or queen of your life to giving that title to Christ. That's what's got to happen for it to be biblical salvation. There's got to be a transference of wanting my way to giving that over to Christ. Jesus said when he was talking about a person's fruit, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I, do, what I ask? Basically, the fruit you and I consistently bore reveals if Christ is Lord or not. Sadly, some want Jesus to save them, which is a good thing, but they still want to rule their own life. They're not ready to hand the keys over to him and say, you drive, I've made a mess of my life, here's the keys, Lord, I want you to take over. And until that happens, until that happens in your heart, you're not ready to receive biblical salvation. God has provided his word and the prescription for salvation. And you say, well, I don't like the confess part. I don't like acknowledging and agreeing with God my sins. Or I don't want to repent. I'm not ready to turn from them yet. Or I'm not ready maybe to look to Christ as Lord. Maybe there's another way I can get to heaven. Or maybe I'm not ready for him to be the Lord of my life yet. God has supplied the prescription, and any piece that me and you try to pull out is like that game Jenga I was never very good at. As we begin to pull out the piece, one by one, it's no longer biblical salvation. God has provided what it takes for us to be saved. Now, looking at this closing verse here in verse 43, I know we all need some encouragement here this morning. Some of us may be thinking, wow, is there a bright light at the end of this tunnel, preacher? Um, where we've gone down this morning, well, here's that bright light. Luke 23, 43. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. That word salvation simply means to save and rescue. It's an act where God delivers believers out of destruction and brings them into his safety. I want you to think about Noah this morning. Think about Old Testament biblical salvation. He received God's warning. By faith, he believed that warning. He built the ark. 
him and his family went into that ark. They went into God's safety during that time of destruction. It wasn't faith that saved him. It was God's grace that saved him through, through that time of destruction when he brought judgment upon the earth. That's what Old Testament biblical salvation looks like. And they were ultimately saved. There is no better place to be than the arms of God. The world is heading toward another judgment. You can see it. Even those that are blind know something that's not right. We, we can tell something's ramping up. Things are getting worse. Um, there's something happening. And I can tell you this morning, if you're a child of God, you can have the assurance that you are safely and securely wrapped in the righteousness of Christ and you do not have to worry about what's coming. You can have that assurance. D.L. Moody once said, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. Listen to what Jesus says to him. He says, not only will I remember you, but you will be with me today in paradise. Jesus promised he would be where he was. Did you know that's Jesus' desire for all creation, that you and I may be where he is? I believe one of the reasons that God chose the cross by its very nature of how it's laid out is because it shows Christ with arms wide open to all who would come and receive him. Also notice Jesus does not say when he says that you will be in paradise, well, let me wait. You got to come down and get baptized first. There was no time for baptism. Baptism is an act of obedience after salvation. It's not a means to salvation. There are people who are saved that have not been baptized like this man, and there are people who have been baptized who are not yet saved. Thirdly, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. When he says paradise, that word in the Greek means a park, a garden of Eden, going back to the way it all began, where, where the, the way God first designed it for each and every one of us, what he had planned for us, that garden of Eden before sin came into the world through Adam. That's God's desire for every one of us. And the encouragement this morning in this passage, I believe, is no matter what you've done in your life, up till now, you can receive salvation. Think about this man. He'd done probably very few, if anything, positive in his life. He was up on the cross. He was bearing his shame, his punishment for what he deserved. And in mercy and in grace, Christ reached out, and by faith, he grabbed his hand. That can happen for you today. The evangelist, late evangelist pastor Adrian Rogers describes salvation, I think, in a beautiful way. He says, think of grace as Christ's nail-pierced hand reaching down from heaven as he says, I love you. I want to save you. Think of faith as your sin-stained hand 
reaching up to him saying, God, I need you. I want you. And when you put your hand into the faith, faith into God's grace, that is salvation. When you put it into his hand, that becomes salvation. It's not your faith that saves you. It's the grace that reaches down to you at the very beginning. If God doesn't reach his hand down, then none of us have any hope. And so it's all grace. It's all because of him. And so as we close this morning, and as the music comes up, I want you to think about what has all transpired in this passage. The criminal did Jesus' right that morning. He began his day headed down the path that leads to destruction. And Jesus said, wide is the road that leads to destruction. He left that day on the narrow path that leads to life. Think about that. What a change. And so as you think about that this morning, as the Spirit has spoken to you, what path are you on this morning? Are you on the wide path that ultimately is going to lead to destruction? Or are you on the narrow path that's going to lead to life? Do you have a personal relationship with Christ? I'm not talking about knowing facts. I'm not talking about what you've heard in church. I'm talking about do you know yourself that you have a personal relationship with Christ? And some of us are already a child of God, but we may have come off that narrow path for a time. We may not be walking like we once were. We may have drifted off that path. The road back is always the road to repentance. And so today, if you need to lay something down at this altar, whether it's for the first time to get on the narrow path with Christ, take you where he wants to lead you, or if you want to recommit yourself today, I encourage you to do that. I will be down front. If you are looking for a church home, then we would love to have you here at Crestview Baptist Church if you would like to make our church, make the, make our church your home. So however God's leading you today, allow him to have his way in your heart this morning. Would you stand as we sing our hymn of invitation, number 330, Amazing Grace.
you, and I believe Brother Larry Hammett is coming today to offer our prayer, and um, we will allow him to close us, and um, I'll be at the front door, and I thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak to y'all today. Let us all pray. Father God, we come to you humbly again, asking forgiveness for our many sins and our shortcomings. Just yesterday, Father, we received the blessings of substance and prayer. At our open door breakfast yesterday morning, we had four families, we had four members that requested special prayer from our church and from our God loving church meeting. One being a 82-year-old bus lady. That's going to be living by herself now. Her son leaves going to the military. Had another lady, young lady with stage three cancer, breast cancer. We had two names that were just names. And the guy that gave them to us said, you both pray for them. God knows what you need. We have folks that are fighting personal battles. And family. Pray for them, Father God. We humbly pray that you place your healing hand on them. Give them the strength, the guidance to help them over their troubled times. Father God, we pray that we'll take time out just to listen. Get in our quiet place. Just you and them, you and God. And listen, that we receive the guidance to help us to go forward and fight the battles that we face each 